Uh, we continue on in our series, Ready, Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow, and uh, we're actually approaching the last chapter, uh, a message today, and then two more messages in 2 Thessalonians. So I've titled this message for today uh, from 2 Thessalonians 3, the first five verses. Uh, I've titled the message, Whatever It Takes. And I think you'll understand that in a, in a couple of minutes. Uh, my friend that I've told you about recently, uh, who I do prison ministry with, and he had been in uh, more county jails than he can remember before he came to the Lord. Uh, I won't tell you a lot about his life, but uh, he is a servant of the Lord today, and he and I have the opportunity of ministering in prisons, and uh, we're at the Illinois Youth Center just about every Thursday together, and we get to talk to young men about their lives and about what the Lord can do in their lives. And so we got to spend some time together Thursday. Uh, we were riding in the car together, and uh, he asked me a question. He said, did I ever tell you about whatever it takes? And I, I really drew a blank. And I gave him one of, one of my famous dumb looks. And uh, he said, apparently not. I, I, I didn't tell you what, whatever it takes means. Um, so he told me a story real quickly. He's got his youngest son, who uh, all he really saw of his dad when he was growing up was that his dad spent a lot of time in jail and, uh, and whatnot. And his youngest son has just pushed back against the things of church and against the Lord. And so my friend had gotten to a point where one day he prayed about his son, those three words, whatever it takes. So a lot of things have happened in this young man's life since my friend prayed that prayer. One of the things is his son was literally shot point blank in the head and survived without much damage. Uh, and, and a number of other things have happened in his life, but none of those things seem to get the son's attention. And now that my friend, who I told you about last week, has been told that he has a few months to live, it's gotten his son's attention. And his son... They're seeing some light from above in that relationship. So all of a sudden it came over, my friend, that he had prayed that prayer, whatever it takes, thinking that God would do some things in his son's life to get his attention. But he never thought about the fact that God might be preparing to take him home in order to get his son's attention. And my friend said to me, I would pray that prayer again and again if I knew that my son would come to the Lord through God taking my life. So I was pretty amazed by that. That was a moving story to me, uh, to think about a real prayer, a crying out to the Lord like a baby, whatever it takes. There's another story. I'm story day. 
Uh, I take these young people to Angola prison every year, college students, and God does amazing things in their lives. I've told you about Angola prison with uh, over 6,000 men now that are there, mostly uh, most of them uh, will never leave that prison. That's where they'll die. They have a life sentence. And uh, when I've taken these students there, these students become really transparent in front of the, uh, the churches in there. There's all these churches down there that are all inmates and led by inmate pastors. And I've told you about the inmate pastors. And I remember one of our young men, he got up in front of the church and he said, to the church of inmates, he talked about his father with a very similar story. He said, my father has been given X amount of time to live by the doctors. And he broke down in tears in front of the inmate uh, church. And then the pastor of that church, Pastor George, who's a, a younger pastor, uh, an inmate pastor, he got up and preached a message off the cuff uh, he hadn't planned it, but the, what he titled it was, Don't You Think You Better Check With the King? And uh, he went through all of the scriptures and, and showed places where men had said something was going to happen, but God had a different plan. And so his point was, the doctors told you that your dad has X amount of time to live, but don't you think we ought to check with the king first? He might have a different plan. So I love that. And it was very encouraging, and it's encouraging to me, and I shared that with my friend Thursday, by the way. I said, you know what, I'm going to check with the king about your life. You never know, God might have a different plan. So this morning, uh, you know, I, I, we're talking really about prayer. First of all, there was kind of a brave and sacrificial prayer. He didn't know how sacrificial it would be, whatever it takes. And then there's this prayer of checking with the king first. And if you remember last week, we talked about Jehoshaphat. Remember what we said about Jehoshaphat? Uh, these hordes were coming after him to kill him. And, and he immediately, it said he was afraid, and immediately said he, he turned his face, he set his face toward the Lord, and he sought the Lord. And, and then the church stood around him, and they prayed together. And so uh, I love that, our brother Steve talked about prayer this morning because that's where the Lord is taking us this morning. And I think a lot of us, I think we casually dismiss prayer. I really do. And I don't think we mean to do that. We understand that prayer is important. We've been told about prayer all of our life. Some of you may start yawning right now as I bring up the topic of prayer. But I want to I encourage us in a, in a different way. Uh, we think sometimes that prayer is, is boring, and it's, it's too long, and it, you know, it makes us yawn. It makes us want to fall asleep. Have any of you been praying to the Lord and had that struggle of staying awake? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, very real. I know because I struggle with it too. And I think about, uh, we're, we're in good company because if you think about the Lord and his disciples on that night when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he told his disciples to, to watch and to pray. They couldn't do it. They couldn't stay awake. They kept falling asleep. <laughs> so here's what I want to say before we just jump into our passage. 
I think if we knew the position that we are in when we're praying, and I don't mean our physical position, but our position of being in the presence of the person of God, you know, that's something that I think a lot about is the presence of God. And I've prayed this morning that we would really sense God's presence in this service, but not just in this service, but in our lives and in our prayer lives. If we could understand what it means to be in the presence of the person of God in the Holy of Holies, uh, so to speak, if we understood, could barely understand the potential of the power of Almighty God, you think about the Bible, and everywhere in the Bible where it says somebody came into the presence of God, they fall flat on their face because they're in, they're in the presence of the Almighty, the most powerful and holy and high God. If we could think about that, and yet at the same time, how pleased God is like a father when we come to him to hear from his children. He's pleased to hear from his children, just like we are from our children. We want to hear from them. And so he loves to hear our praises, and he loves to hear our requests as well. And he loves for us just to have a conversation with him. Pray without ceasing, and pray for us. You know, prayer doesn't need to be long. Sometimes we think long prayers are good. Uh, prayer doesn't need to be impressive. Oh, that person really prays well. Did you hear how they prayed? That's not what it's all about. Prayer needs to be real. It needs to be real. When, when we talk to one another, when I talk to people, I want people to be real with me. I don't want them to play games with me. And it's the same thing in prayer. I think God wants us to be very real. And if you don't believe me, read the Psalms. Man, there's some realness going on in the Psalms <laughs> between those people that were praying to the Lord. They're just bearing their heart and, uh, and they're praying against evil people and they're praying for all kinds of amazing things and they're just getting real with God. God, where are you? What are you doing? He wants us to be real with him. So that's our challenge this morning is, is to be real with God in prayer. So here's our text for today. And it's actually titled, Pray for Us. And it's from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and it's the first five verses. I want you to stand up. You can stretch your legs. That's good for you, good for me. Uh, and then we'll get into this message. Here's what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the first five verses. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of God. Father, would you teach us to pray and be real with you this day? In Jesus' name, amen.
Please be seated. So Paul starts out by saying, our prayer, what he literally says is, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. So what he's saying is that (laughs) our prayer is that the gospel runs freely. That's what it literally, literally means. And, uh, you know, I want to ask this question this morning. Why is it that in our prayer times, you know, uh, we pray in groups. Uh, I was part of a group of men that prayed every morning at Wheaton College for all the years that I was there. We called it devotions. And in that prayer time, our prayer time almost always centered on the practical and physical needs of people, mostly the physical needs. And, you know, I found that to be true in our small group and in our prayer meetings that we spend a huge amount of time praying for those things. And those are real things, and that's good. I'm not putting that down. We need to pray for those things. But why in the world can't we pray prayers like we hear in the Bible? <laughs> Here's Paul, and he's, not, he's praying that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord, would run free. And I've thought, wow, have I ever prayed something like that in my life? I'm not sure. Maybe in a sense, but I'm not sure that I have. So why is it that we can't get beyond that? Even the Lord, when he taught the disciples to pray, one of the first things he said was, thy kingdom come. That's the same prayer as the word of the Lord, spreading rapidly. So the first part of this thing is that the gospel would be fleet of foot. That's what I put there. Um, I like the foot image and the running image. He's saying, let the word of the Lord spread rapidly. Do you know that in our world today that the word of the Lord actually is spreading rapidly? You know, we look around our country and we see things and we think, oh man, things are really going downhill and the church is maybe going to be persecuted and Christians are being made fun of, but the, the word of God is spreading rapidly around a lot of our world and it's pretty exciting. Uh, it's running rampant in Africa. If you go to Africa a huge percentage of people in Africa are believers. And uh, South and Central America, I was talking about Guatemala this morning, Uh, Kathy and I were there. The gospel has spread rapidly through Central America and even into South America. And, And I think about places like South Korea, what God has done there, and in the Philippines. And even in China, communist China, there are literally millions of worshipers of God the Lord Jesus Christ in China. You know what's really cool? Is that a lot of the immigrants that are coming to our country are coming from those regions. And a lot of them are Christians. Think about that. You know, uh, my uncle and aunt served as missionaries in Guatemala. And they were part of this generation that came out of World War II. My uncle was in World War II went to Wheaton College, got a degree, and graduated in 1950 or somewhere, 51, 52. And there was a whole generation of young people in the United States at that time that decided after World War II that they wanted to serve the Lord, and and they took the message of God all over the world. Well, now, I think the fruit of that is coming back at us. (laughs) It's amazing that God is sending Christian immigrants to our country. And they're bringing the gospel 
back to the United States. So that gives me a different way of thinking about what God is doing. Uh, not only does he bring Christian immigrants, he brings non-Christian immigrants that we can give the gospel to. The church uh, Grace Campus in Aurora is overrun by refugees, and God is doing an amazing thing there. And I love that. It's a beautiful picture. The, the, the word of the Lord is fleet of foot, and it's running rampant all over the world. And we should be thanking God for that. I love the verse, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news, from Isaiah, and then Paul says that in Romans. Part of his prayer is not only that the good news and the gospel would spread, but that the gospel would finish its course. That's part of what he's saying here. You know, the Lord Jesus said in the, what we call the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And then he ends that by saying, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we want to see the gospel finish its course. That's something that we should be praying for as God's people. Uh, and, and that's something that I don't know that I've ever prayed. Lord, not only do we want you to see the gospel run rampant, but I want to see it finish what you're doing, Father, in this world. Um, <laughs> so Jesus taught about the end of the age a lot. And here's one of the things that he said would be a sign of the end of the age in the Gospel of Mark. One of the things that he says is that the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations before the end of the age. And that's a prayer. Lord, spread the gospel. Spread the gospel in this world. And so we as Christians who worship the Lord together, I want us to think a little bit this morning about our part in spreading the gospel. Good news of Jesus Christ. What are we doing to proclaim the gospel, to see that it finishes its course? Another thing is that Paul says, and, and he says it in different words, but he says uh, that the gospel, the, the word of the Lord, would be honored. And, and what that really means it, to me is it, it becomes famous. The word of God becomes famous in this world. It's honored, it's, it's glorified, it, it's triumphant. That's Paul's prayer is that the gospel would, would triumph in this world. And that it, you and I know that at the name of Jesus, at some point, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So certainly there is a time when the gospel will be famous. Everybody will know who Jesus is. And, and the return of the Lord will be that ultimate fulfillment. And these are things that Paul prays about and that he encourages us to pray about. And here's the part that I love. He says to the church, he's writing all these things, he say, pray for the gospel to be spread, pray for the gospel to uh, be famous, and, and then he says, as it was fulfilled in you. And he's talking to the church at Thessalonica, and I look at our church this morning and think about if I'm sitting in the pew and somebody says to me, as the gospel was fulfilled in you. I have to ask this morning, do you recognize what the gospel's done for you in your life? Think about that. You know, I'd love to have people stand up right now and give a testimony 
and say what God has done in their life and what the gospel has meant in their life. I love that Paul can stand there or write a letter to the church and say, we've seen the gospel fulfilled in each one of you and what's, what's changed in your life. And so I, I would hope this morning you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I remember when God got a hold of me and when he changed me and he changed my heart and what the gospel did in my life. <laughs> you know, there's a, a song, it's a Gaither song, forgive me, I, I like the Gaithers, but uh, it's called, Had It Not Been For A Place Called Mount Calvary, Had It Not Been For The Old Rugged Cross, Had It Not Been For A Man Called Jesus, Then My Soul Would Be Forever Lost. Those are good words. Not been for the Lord. And that's what we remembered this morning in the communion. Mount Calvary and what, what Jesus did on the cross. And that's the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross. And then his resurrection in victory over sin and death. And then our belief in the gospel, our trust in what Jesus did for me. That's the good news. <laughs> Favorite verse of mine, and, and God keeps reminding me of it over and over is for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity. This is going to be an interactive service, by the way. I should have warned you because some of you might have left. But uh, say with me this morning, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. One more time. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, do you believe that this morning? It is. It's true, the power of God. We need, we need to spread that word, the word of the Lord beyond these walls. Secondly, our prayer is that we be delivered from faithless men. You know, the Lord in his prayer, we already talked about it in the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, that he taught the disciples was deliver us from evil was part of what he said. And I thought about that this morning. Do I pray that in my prayer life? Father, deliver me from evil. <laughs> uh, do we pray that in our prayers? We certainly need to. You know, evil surrounds us uh, and, and we become immune by evil, and we become hardened to it. It's like, you know, just an illustration. You watch the news, and how many people were shot and killed, and it's like it doesn't even phase you anymore because you hear it so many times over and over and over again. So we live in an evil world, and, and I'm desensitized, and a lot of us are, by these things. And uh, it's a shame that we're that way. So we, we need to pray about things like this, about evil in this world and, uh, and about our response to it. And we need God's help in this area, <laughs> very much so. Uh, I do. I mean, don't you need help in this area? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, Psalm 3740, there's a great verse there. You've probably heard it before. It says, the Lord helps them. He's talking about his people. The Lord helps them and delivers them. <laughs> delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. 
That's really important, that last phrase. It talks about God delivering us and taking care of us for those of us that take refuge in him. When I read that verse, I had to ask myself, where do I take refuge? When the world seems crazy, when things are really bad, where do I take refuge? You know, there's times when I just want my senses to be dulled. You know that? I feel like that. I just want my senses to be dulled. And so we do that in different ways. Some of us turn to the TV and, and it's mindless. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing these things. I'm just saying these are the things that we do. Or we, we read a book. Some of us may take substances to dull our senses because we just can't deal with all this stuff. And those are the wrong place to turn for refuge. The place that we're to turn to for refuge is to the Lord. And the Lord gives us refuge, and he promises to deliver us from evil. So my challenge to myself and, and to you is look to the Lord for your refuge. Run to the Lord for your refuge. <laughs> That's what prayer is about. Cry to the Lord like a little baby for refuge. That's what the Lord is trying to teach us. So the first sub-point is that the men that we need uh, to be delivered from are wicked and evil, according to what Paul wrote here. He says uh, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. The Amplified Bible calls them perverse and actively malicious men. We're to watch out for these kind of people. Isaiah says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Isn't that the world we live in? Everything's upside down. What used to be good is called bad, and what's, <laughs> what's bad is called good. And, and Isaiah says, woe to those people, and, and we're to avoid those people. <laughs> you know, they hate the word of the Lord. There are people in our world, in our country, in our communities that hate the word of the Lord. So we ought to pray for those people, but yet we're asking for deliverance from those people so that the gospel can go forward. <laughs> so flee from them and plead for their deliverance so that the word of the Lord will go forth. And it goes on and says, beware, not everybody has faith. Paul says, uh, for not all have faith. You know, he's not just talking about the obvious people that don't have faith in the Lord. He's telling us that there, there are people not everybody that claims to have faith has faith. Everybody, not everybody that claims to be a Christian and uses that word is a Christian. And not everybody that claims to be an evangelical is really an evangelical. And we have to watch that because the words are easy to use. <laughs> you know, people talk a certain way to one person and then another way to another group of people. We have to be careful. They're talking out about both sides of their mouth. So, you know, I get the opportunity. I find this amusing as a pastor. I'll be somewhere. I'll be with a group of guys. It could be, you know, working guys or a party or whatever. And they'll say, hey, what do you do, you know? And I say, oh, well, you know, I'm pastor of a church. And all of a sudden it's like, ooh! <laughs> you know, they've been kind of potty mouth before that. All of a sudden it's like, Oh, man, didn't know we had a man of the cloth among us, you know, or uh, uh, 
whoa, excuse my French, you know, and it's like, wow. <laughs> and all of a sudden, things change. And, and I, I laugh at them, I do. I literally laugh at them and say, why are you, you know, what, what are you doing? Why are you changing? You know, uh, and so that's how we are, how people are. We're fickle. We talk one way and act another way. And so people that say they have faith may not have faith, and I think we're being warned about that from Paul. Be careful. Uh, be careful about that. And the word, God's word says that in the last days, people will have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. That's a very convicting statement, by the way. You know, we like to think about who that applies to. Let's try applying it to ourselves a little bit. You know, uh, I appear, how do I appear? You know, don't tell me. I didn't mean to ask that question. But uh, I go to church. Um, I'm a small group and, you know, this and that. That's appearances. All of those things are appearances. But God looks at the heart of men and women not at our appearances. <laughs> so we, we need to be careful uh, that we don't just have the appearance of godliness and then deny its power. That, that's awful. We act like we know God, and we act like we're walking with God, but in our lives, his power is denied. There are people like that. Let's not be one of them. God looks on our hearts, not on the outward appearance. And then it goes on, and this is encouraging, but the Lord is faithful and will establish you. You know, I, I always say, but God, here it says, but the Lord. So let me say that, but the Lord. <laughs> you know, had it not been in my life, but the Lord. Had it not been in your life, but the Lord. Just think where we would be. But the Lord. I love it when, when Paul says that but the Lord is faithful and will establish you. He was, he's faithful. Do you struggle with being established in your faith? You know, uh, you know I've, I've only got this much faith. I can, I can kind of believe this, and, but I, you know, I struggle with this and I struggle with that. And I think people do struggle with being established in their faith. And, and we have doubts and and we struggle. And there's uh, two verses in Colossians that have helped me personally so much in my life, and I've shared them many times with you, but I'm going to share them again because it's really important. Colossians chapter 2, really verses 6 and 7. Paul, again, is writing, and he's talking about being established in your faith. He's telling the people, he's reminding the people, therefore... Colossians 2, 6, and 7, as you received Christ Jesus, how do we receive Christ Jesus? By what? By faith. We receive Christ Jesus by faith. We can't see him. We hear his word. He speaks to us in a small, still voice. He convicts us. And by faith, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so people are struggling. Therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him. So now it gets down to where the rubber meets the road. Well, how do I walk every day? I mean, how do I live the Christian life? Oh, I live it the same way that I got into it. I live it by faith. By faith, I walk 
according to what the Lord has said to me in his word and what he says to me through his Holy Spirit, what he says to me through the church. I walk by faith. And rooted, it goes on and says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. That's how we're established in the faith. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The Lord is faithful. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him to establish you. That's where the rubber meets the road. Faith, trusting the Lord. Walk by faith. And then it goes on and says that the Lord will guard you against the evil one. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, he will guard you. You know, the evil one throws darts at us, doesn't he? Temptations that we struggle with, things we know we ought not to do or think. And the Bible tells us that he's throwing darts at us. And in Ephesians 6, 16, it says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. I wish I had a shield. I don't. But if I had one, you know, you could see it and be one of these big body shields that they carry like this. You see it in the movies. And then they're shooting darts at you, and you know, boom, 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 you know. And that's the picture I get. Satan shooting his fiery darts of evil at us and temptation. And what is it the Lord says? We're, we're to use the shield of faith. Well, now, that's a good picture, but what does it really, how does it break down? You have to use that in conjunction with all of the armor of God, and this is not a message on the armor, but let me remind you, it's pretty, pretty simple here. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. But we have to do that in conjunction with the belt of truth. Well, I, I understand there was a, a belt that held everything together when a guy was a soldier, and that's truth. So we have to be concerned about the truth. We know what the truth is. We've, we've said that. <laughs> Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. So we've got to have truth first along with our faith, Otherwise, our faith is useless if it's not in the truth. And we're to have a breastplate of righteousness. That's something that covers this part of the body. Uh, if we're in the truth and we're, we're, we've got faith, then we should be walking in righteousness. And that righteousness comes from God. It's imputed to us. It's given to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. And, and that we're walking in righteousness. And then it says to have shoes for the gospel of peace. I love that picture. Good shoes are really important. I went In Vietnam, we, we wore one boot, one pair of boots one day and then one the next day, and I'm trying to switch them off because it was, it was horrible on, on your feet and, and with the boots. They'd rot and fall off. And so you need good boots, and good boots imply walking <laughs> with the gospel, spreading the word. I, I love that picture. How beautiful are the feet of people who bring good news. So that's part of it. And then the last thing he says, oh, the last two things, the helmet of salvation, put that on. You need a helmet. We call it a steel pot in Vietnam. Cover your head and protect your brain. Uh, but we need to have salvation in our mind. We need to have our mind stayed on Jesus. That's what we talk about. And the last thing he says, 
and, and carry a sword, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All of those things work together to establish us in our faith and to protect us from the evil one. That's the way to victory over the evil one. And finally, our confidence comes from the Lord. <laughs> I love the book of Hebrews. Tom, thanks for picking that this morning because that's one of the verses from our message that God put together. The, the book of Hebrews has a lot to say about confidence. What does confidence mean? It's pretty simple. The word C-O-N, con, means with, con in Spanish, and fide means faith, with faith, confidence. So our faith, our confidence is in the Lord. Our confidence comes from the Lord. And Paul says that in the text right here. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong page. Uh, and we have confidence in the Lord about you. In Hebrews, uh, it says three or four times, it says, and we are his house indeed if we hold fast to our confidence. We're God's people if we hold fast to our faith. It says, therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. That's what we talked about in communion. And so let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. <laughs> uh, so confidence, uh, drawing near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace. There's a song that's been going through my head all for two weeks now, and it almost keeps me awake now. It's called, Where Could I Go But to the Lord? Elvis Presley sang it, and, and, and a lot of other people, but it's a great song. You know, where could I go to the Lord but to the Lord? Needing a friend to help me in the end. Where could I go but to the Lord? Our confidence is in the Lord. Paul says our confidence is concerning you, the church. <laughs> and, and, and Paul's talking to the church at Thessalonica, and, and Paul says, we have confidence in the Lord about you. <laughs> and, and so I can say that this morning, and I love saying it to the church at the creek, as Phil calls it. Here we are at the creek. I have confidence in the Lord, and the Lord has given me confidence in this body of Christ. He really has, and I'm part of you. And, and, and I love that that I can look at you with faith and know that you are people of faith. Our confidence is in the Lord, and he's given me confidence in you. And, and, and Paul goes on that you will continue. There's a word for Christians to think about, continue. Keep on keeping on in the things you're already doing in the Lord. And never stop. Continue on. <laughs> he says, continue on in the things that we command. In other words, Paul had been teaching them things and he had charged them to do certain things. It's like a command. So continue on in the things that we've charged you to do and the things that we've taught you. 2 Timothy 3.14 says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. That applies to us here this morning. And finally, I think the Lord will complete what he has started in you. The last two phrases in that passage are directing your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of God. 
I want to say a verse that I used last week. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. One of the saddest things that I've seen is people that start with the Lord and don't finish. You can see it in the scriptures, but you can see it in life. Maybe somebody here this morning is struggling a little bit with that, you know. Challenged, thinking about wandering away from the faith. How sad. I believe that the real test of a Christian is that they continue to the end. That's called perseverance. And I pray, and, and how do you persevere to the end? By faith. <laughs> it's God. You know, you can't do it yourself, but I pray over and over again, God, let me finish strong. Please let me finish strong in this life. And that should be our prayer, brothers and sisters, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ.